Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I am brilliant. I'm so glad you're here. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Has anybody ever opened a podcast by saying, actually, I'm terrible, and I wish you weren't here. Let's, go, let's not press on that one. Um, so, what's that feels very Marvin-like to me. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Brain okay, the size that. of I'm a British. planet, and this is what you ask me. Yes. Yeah, yep. hey, I'm British in Brexit with a new prime minister. Oh, I could do Marvin depression An very easily. Unelected prime minister. Wonderful news for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Please tell me there's something exciting and interesting and fantastic going on in the world. Well, you've got a MacBook Pro, right? you got a 2009 MacBook Pro. <laughs> yes, just about. Keyboard doesn't work. Right. Um, so you could be in the market for a new minutes. one, yeah? Well, uh, yes, there, there's certainly a, a missing factor here, uh, the financial I, 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 one. It could. Uh, so Apple's got a new 16-inch MacBook Pro coming. We've, we've heard about the 16-inch MacBook Pro for some time. Yes. Expectations are coming in October. Sensible. One of the things that, that people have suggested is that the screen will be LCD rather than OLED. And, and partly that comes down to cost, partly it comes down to the, the, what the need is, right? Do you need an OLED laptop screen? The display is probably going to be 3,000 pixels, 3072 pixels wide by 1920, which is a really nice high resolution. Um, that's the same pixel density as the, uh, the, the existing MacBook Pro, more or less. So that suggests a screen size of approximately 16.4 inches. Now, one of the things... That uh, and then that represents a bump up from a 2880 by 1800 pixel resolution. One of the things that's uh, that's that's interesting you mentioned was the cost. Hmm. Yes, I feel like you're you're building up to something terrible here, but okay, it is Apple. I know it'd be expensive. Hit me. Some of the rumors suggest that this machine could cost over three thousand U.S. dollars. Okay, that's more than I thought you were going to say. Uh, but do they do them in blue? Yeah, that could be that could be the thing for me. You know, it's it's typically been the uh, the the silver and the gold or rose gold and space gray models, um, and and of course MacBook Pros tend to be the silver aluminum. It's it's other models that have gotten the fancy colors like the twelve inch MacBook. But uh, I like that pink MacBook. I'm sorry, it's gone. Um, sorry, serious question, something I didn't know. I realize uh, for some reason I know all about the screens on iPhones and iPads when they're LCD, when they're OLED or whatever. Um, but I never thought about it with MacBook Pros. Does that mean if this one's going to be LCD that the current ones uh, are OLED? Is that something no, current ones are also LCD. The, quest the, the thing is that some people are hyped up about the idea of OLED and just want to change everything to OLED. Right. Uh, I remember saying last year when the uh, iPad Pro came out, with an LCD screen that um, I would bet money it was going to be an OLED one uh, this year. Um, as we get closer to the new iOS releases, I'm getting less certain about that. But here's here's why I think that's a bad bet. I think it's a bad thing to bet on OLED for laptops and iPads at this time, and it's because Apple had such difficulty with suppliers trying to make a um, a high quality, 
high-resolution retina display screen for iPhones in quantity. Mm. That, that trying to get the consistency and quality that they were looking for for the phones was difficult. You know, Samsung could do it, but they wanted more than one supplier. LG had trouble. So, mm. so knowing that difficulty, making smaller-sized displays, trying to go to ones that are four or eight times in volume, in, in, in just area of display, means more problems for quality and production. Less that yield, therefore more yeah. expensive, therefore bad idea. Don't do it. So where does micro LED fit in this? Uh, I, I know about it coming to the allegedly, reportedly, possibly coming to the Apple Watch. Is that uh, just because it's small? Well, so the name? micro LED is, is, as it says, an LED technology, but instead of, of doing things traditionally where pixels are big, even on a retina display, pixels are big if you look them under a microscope, micro LED sets the goal for pixel size anywhere from, let's say, 30 microns down to 5 microns. Okay. And the you know, you end up having to use gallium nitrite to make the, uh, the, the pixels that small. And, and the problem there is that the border of the pixel is actually bigger than the pixel itself. So you have to solve oh, that okay. problem. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the beauty of those is that they're really super low power. And the use for those is not something giant like a laptop display. The use for those are in displays that are going to be close to the eyes, where if you were looking at your cell phone close to your eyes, you might see the screen door effect where you're looking through a window screen. If, if you're okay. holding your watch to your face, you don't want to see pixels. If you're using a, a phone as the display in virtual reality or augmented reality glasses, you don't want to see this. You don't want to see the display. You want to be seeing what's being displayed. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I can see it now for watches. Although I, I do think Apple Watch is a particularly crisp screen. But sorry, yeah, when I mean, you the, the watch that... is kind of a lesser use because you really want things that are be that close to your face. So it's mm. it's basically glasses, you know, display glasses, or or the phone where you're using it as a display glass kind of thing. You mentioned the larger canvas, the bigger screen, and I suddenly realized I've never asked you this. Why is Apple? Why are we expecting Apple to do a sixteen-inch um, MacBook when they used to do a seventeen? I used to have a seventeen-inch PowerBook. All right. So a few things have changed since the days of the seventeen-inch. The seventeen was a beast, right? That thing mm. weighed double the weight. It was ridiculous. Beautiful, but ridiculous. And it's my main Mac. I use it as a desktop Mac as much as anything right. else. Right. So, so yeah. there are things that we call the ultra portables, right? Yes. Your twelve-inch MacBook, yes. and there are things that are called business notebooks, like the 15-inch MacBook Pro. And then there's what we used to call DTR, desktop replacement, which is the 17-inch. Yes. And And. in this era of Macs, the 15-inch is thin and light. There's no reason to believe that a 16-inch could also not be thin and light, right? It could be very thin. It could be very light. And... You know, your, your limitations are still on battery and on um, the thickness of the actual components because you have to have a processor that is soldered onto the surface of a motherboard that has some kind of cooling on top of it. Okay. That just um, requires a certain amount of depth. Your port connectors, your USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 connectors 
have some thickness to them, right? Okay. Oh, I see where you're going with this. So, so there um, is a physical limitation on how thick a machine can be or how thin a machine can be. Now, the the other thing to note about a 16-inch machine is our current 15-inch machines have these big black borders around the screen. Right. Right. But the, oh, I see. But and this may not. What if um, you push the display to the edges? Then you fit a larger display in the same size enclosure, or in, in this case, maybe nominally the same size enclosure. What if you took a 15-inch and you, you bumped it up by a fraction of an inch, but had the screen grow larger within the screen frame, and now you've got a new MacBook Pro? That's my yeah. suspicion. That's my speculation. That would be worth $3,000 to me. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and the reason that I've been thinking a lot about this is not just for the idea of what do you do with a 16-inch display and how do you fit it into something without making it gargantuan. It's, it's also that I've had a lot of people, a lot of people, both, both strangers and people close to me, tell me how much they miss the 12-inch MacBook. Yes. I mean, given that I never quite got one, it was the one I wanted and I use friends a lot. Uh, I miss, I actually, I miss the pink one. Sorry, rose gold. Yeah. I liked the pink MacBook. You know, for, for a long time on this show, going back to 2015, 2016, I always asked, you know, why hasn't the MacBook Air been updated? I love the 11-inch MacBook Air. The 11-inch, where's the MacBook Air? And for a long time, the MacBook Air was not updated. And people said, you're not supposed to buy a MacBook Air. You're supposed to buy a 12-inch MacBook. That's the way of the future. That's the new machine. And the air hung around, and it was not clear why for a long time. And only now have things flip-flopped, and it's completely reversed. And everyone who said, you're supposed to buy a MacBook, don't buy a MacBook Air. The MacBook Air is not going to get updated ever again. It's going to go away. Well, here we are. It's 2019. We got brand new MacBook Airs, and the 12-inch MacBook's no longer there. And someone at Apple is giggling. Fooled uh, us all. Fooled us all. And, and the problem is that people don't like being fooled. People don't like being made fools of. And I kind of get used to it. Uh, what's the problem? Do you enjoy it? <laughs> Probably uh, not. It's, I've become inured, really. You know, when it's yeah. twice daily occurrence. There is there is that. But, uh, you know, the the 12-inch was a good form factor. And, and, yes, it only had the single USB-C connector, but there was a lot of love for it. And there are people that hope that the form factor could come back, that we could get that 13-inch display that is in the MacBook Air as an edge-to-edge -edge inside a MacBook 12-inch enclosure. I'm one of them, although clearly I'm not going to wait, so I'm going to buy a couple of these new 16-inch MacBook Pros to have around the house. I, I think you need one for every room, don't you? It's crossing my mind, yes. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> yeah. Because like it's those. going to be quite heavy, isn't it? I mean, I know it'd be light, but compared to something. So it's sheer practicality just leaving one in every room. I think so. Uh, okay. Are we the ideal Apple customer here? <laughs> <laughs> well, not especially because we're still moaning over the loss of the 12-inch MacBook. So clearly Good we point. can't be the ideal Apple customer. I know they make those decisions with a lot of thought. I know they aren't made lightly, but I wish that I wish that we had a little more insight into them or had a little more better way of giving feedback to them. And, and obviously the ultimate feedback is what were the sales numbers like? Because there's no commitment like committing your own wallet to it. But, yeah, but I have friends, I have people that are scouring the internet looking for 
for either new old stock or lightly used ones to purchase rather than getting an air. I think it's really interesting how um, one machine can become uh, a beloved favorite and another one never does. I mean, remember, we were talking about small machines. You remember the 12-inch PowerBook? That was a gorgeous machine. I, I own, I own one. I still have it. I've slightly damaged the one my wife Angela had, but she's such an uh, iPad uh, user now that she hasn't noticed. So uh, hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> mine, think that through. Mine okay. has a heatsink failure and doesn't work any longer from that, and I need to redo the heatsink on it. And it's just such an obnoxious pain to take the thing apart. It takes a couple hours to get in there and do it right. And uh, but if I had a spare unit to work from, that would be something interesting. I might revive I that. Sell you one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And use the money to buy your three thousand dollar MacBook Pro. Well, I also want to pick up a new Mac Pro as well because you know this Mac Mini. What do you mean? It's fine. In fact, it's actually brilliant for everything I need. You know, I just I want the set: the Mac Pro, the iMac Pro, the MacBook Pro, all the Pros in a row. That'll make me happy. Yeah, destitute but happy. Definitely destitute. And I would really be able to type emails so much faster in those machines. That, that's what they were built for, you know. Apple doesn't say it, but we know. I know, I know. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily about the, uh, the machine, although we talk a lot about the machines. It's also about the software you run on them, right? I hmm. had uh, a reader ask our listener, rather. I had a listener email us and asking the question what should they use to run their small business quickbooks was ridiculous cost and and did way more things than it needed and was way more complex than they needed and what should they look at instead for their small business and i said you know there there are a couple of options and i named them and i said also you should check out one of our sponsors captera because captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business because they have over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users and they have it organized in 700 specific categories. So it makes it easy to discover the right kind of solution fast. You can be like that listener. You can join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. captera.com slash Apple Insider. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Apple Insider. Captera, software selection simplified. This week I've been mostly using a thing called Motion 5, which I've just totally ignored before. You know, it's a, it's an add-on really to Final Cut Pro, $50 separate program, but knits together. I've used Final Cut Pro for years. Suddenly I'm doing a project that Motion could work for, and I'm riveted by how good this app Yes, but sorry, you're talking about software and the use of doing it. I think I'm stretching my Mac Mini a bit with all of this now, but it's still <laughs> valiantly hanging on. But there. it's a new machine. How can you be pushing it so hard? This is the way I roll, isn't it? You know? I suppose so. Multi-hour footage, animations, my own frankl frankly misuse of my storage options. These are the things that count. Actually, I should say this in all seriousness. We ran an article on Apple Insider about how to cope. Uh, when you're using just 128 gigabyte SSD, uh, which is what I have in the Mac Mini. And all of us, uh, everybody at Apple Insider the what, told me not to get it uh, because it would be too small. And I'm thinking, you know, I write a lot, but not that much. And they're absolutely true. Um, uh, and I've had to learn new ways to cope with it, plug in an external drive, all sorts of things. Now I've got it to a stage where I have about 20 gigabytes free 
on the Mac Mini, and it's like having a new machine again. So yeah, and you're going to find that you want to keep about you know ten to twenty gigabytes free in order for it to keep feeling like a good machine. Yeah, absolutely. Which means lots of management. I've got Hazel, uh, the app, working on it now. Uh, it archives off certain things after a certain amount of time. It deletes other things mm-hmm. for me, so I don't have to keep thinking every day how am I going to clear the space. So yeah, so so Hazel is something that's been around for a while, but I never really took good advantage of it. Tell me again how you're using it. How how hard oh. was it to set up? Let's make that a user tip. Uh, Hazel for that sort of thing uh, it took me seconds. Launch Hazel, tell it to watch, uh, let's say, I do a lot of screenshots. Watch the desktop. If you see a a screenshot file and it it wasn't added today, if it was added yesterday or the day before or something, uh, just delete it. And it does. And I never even think about it. I just look at my Mac the next day and all the stuff is cleared off, if I've wanted it to. I do far more complicated things, like when I do invoicing. Hazel uh, is in my workflow. I remember I actually wanted to change something. A client did something different, and I could not remember what I used to do and what Hazel does for me. But it spots where the uh, where I've saved the invoice, and it chucks it off to my accountant. It copies it into an archive bit. It launches a keyboard maestro uh, thing that actually then writes the email to send it and stuff. Automation on the Mac, Hazel and other stuff. Uh, you can go insane with this, but setting it up for just tidying things. Oh, actually, uh, Hazel has a really, really nice uh, way of controlling your trash. You know the way you can tell your Mac to empty the trash every 30 days? Well, you can tell Hazel uh, much finer. Uh, Delete everything over a certain size after five days. Delete all of it after a day. Uh, Fine grain control for it, which I must admit I've barely looked at. I've just said empty it every now and again. But that took seconds. I love Hazel. So Hazel 4 was released mm. and hazel is made by noodlesoft.com that's noodle and soft.com and uh it is super powerful besides just all the things you've named it's actually possible to kick off apple script and so yes. you can you can really do tons and tons of things to that we'll link that in show notes that'd be great i love that app any chance to promote it somewhere yeah great definitely cool uh, Facebook got fined $5 billion by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission over the Cambridge Analytical Scandal charges. I actually thought all of, all of that was blown over and stuff, but is this just uh, you know, legal cases dragging on? Or Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So the, the fine settles the FTC charges that Facebook violated a 2012 FTC order by deceiving users about their ability to control privacy of their personal information. So basically, in 2012, the FCC said you are via, you, you are deceiving users about your ability to control privacy, and they had a settlement then. And Facebook, with this Cambridge Analytical scandal, broke the settlement, broke the order that they had from the FCC in 2012, and did it again. And so they've been fined $5 billion, which is – there are two ways of thinking about this, right? It's – one, the largest settlement ever been, the largest fine ever been issued in the United States. But on the flip side, it is also a drop in the bucket as far as Facebook's concerned. Right. It's, it is actually more money than I earn in a year. It is more money than you earn in a year, but it is, it is less money than Facebook earns in a quarter. Okay. Right, so they're doing a bit better than me. Okay, I can it's, see it's that. It's not just that they're doing a bit better than you. It's that 
this fine is comparatively low for them, so it's the cost of doing business. Wow. Five billion is the cost of doing business. I mean, I see I mean, if they I'm make sure if they right, made but... just just tossing things out, like they make I, I'm guessing here, and I'm guessing because I can't remember the exact figures, but on, on the order of like fifteen billion a quarter. Okay. Right. Sorry, I'm just uh, there. There comes a stage when the numbers are meaningless, uh, aren't they? Um, and and so that's you know somewhere ballpark. Let's just say fifty five billion a year, right? Yeah, if Hazel saw an 50, invoice 50 of billion, mine for that amount, billion a year, think, something like yeah. that. So five billion. Does that really? influence how facebook is going to change their business well uh, they may have to tighten their belts a bit for a week yeah um, <laughs> cut down on the stationary cupboard suppliers yeah but you, you're yeah. saying wait a minute whoa hang on whoa hang on just back up a second no. are you suggesting that facebook might not stop doing things that consistently get it into this kind of Oh, heaven for fend. Haven't they learned their lesson? Absolutely. A little slap on the wrist is going to keep them from violating people's privacy all the time. Here, the problem that I have is that social networks have no responsibility to their users. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And I think morally, I think ethically, they should. But they don't. It's just not how they're constructed. It's obviously not a part of the business model. Uh, acquiring users is, and whatever acquires users and gets them riled up and also makes them money, right? You know, there's there's a T-shirt out there of Zuckerberg, and the T-shirt is is him silk screened on the shirt with a speech bubble that says, "We sell ads, Senator." Okay, I get that. Yeah. Mm. So the question is, you know, what do you do? Do you give out the largest fine ever and it's ineffective or do you do something else? And that leads us to another story, which is the Department of Justice in America announced an antitrust review. And now they're including Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. So what they're going to review is is the widespread concerns that consumers, businesses, and entrepreneurs have expressed about search, social media, and some retail services online. The antitrust division is seeking information with the, from the public, including industry participants, who have direct insight into competition in online platforms. And and this comes down to whether or not something is a monopoly and whether or not that monopoly is is uh, being maintained and and grown illegally. Because it's, it's legal to have a monopoly, but there are certainly things you can do around trust and antitrust that are illegal. And so the that's that's what's going to happen here. The FTC is expected to take, tackle monopolization issues at Amazon and Facebook. Um, separate DOJ probes into Apple and Google are also being prepared. Um, last week, representatives from Apple, Amazon, and Google and Facebook appeared in front of the House Judiciary Committee to address this topic. They're they're investigating platform gatekeepers and what are the dominant firms. So there yeah. are there are some people in politics calling for a breakup of these firms, but typically what happens is that no one once the government has decided to look into something and prosecute someone, no one comes out completely unscathed. You know, you, you, there's either going to be a settlement or there'll be a fine or potentially the breakup. 
even though presumably Apple can just say, we're not a monopoly, look, there's Google, and Google can say exactly the same thing. The questions come down to specific legal points about whether or not that's competition and whether or not they're doing something to illegally maintain their monopoly. Okay. Right. Is there a duopoly commission as well as a monopoly one? No, there is not. Okay, because it seems wrong, isn't it? I know this. I mean, is an we could talk about joke. oligopoly, but we've we've it's 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 all about antitrust, is what that falls under. Yeah, I mean, forgive me, someone's got to say this. The fact that there is only one monopolies commission is deeply wrong, isn't it? Okay. Well, no, no, they've got separate drift probes. There are multiples. <laughs> right. Okay, let's just re-examine that joke into nothingness. Okay, yeah. so um, what are the odds we're going to see anything happening? Uh, how long did you say Facebook thing was? Seven years? Are we going to see anything happening before it's, 2026? I mean, there there are a number of different valid viewpoints around this. You know, one is that what are the good alternatives? What's a good alternative for Facebook? What's the best alternative for Amazon? That that there aren't necessarily good alternatives, right? Hmm. The other another perspective is that this is silly. That that America is going to punish its own and allow other countries to advance faster by supporting their own technologies, their own companies. You know, and you could look at something like how Ali, AliExpress, Alibaba uh, are doing in China with their Alipay, or how WeChat has grown from a chat app into basically a whole platform that you run on top of whatever phone you like, and you use WePay and all that stuff. Um, that, that the idea of punishing these companies is actually harming America's place in the world. There are all kinds of perspectives here. Uh, you know, it's, so you it's, think that one will be found, that some conclusion will come to, and it will benefit uh, some, all of the lawmakers and lawyers I mean, in a way. You know, law, lawmakers are going to grandstand on it. There's going to be fines for certain. Uh, no, no one comes out of this unscathed. Mm. Well, that's all good then. Isn't it? I did ask you at the top to tell me nice and happy things. Um, uh, you were doing just, okay. just as Jim Comey a few years ago wanted to have backdoors in encryption, yes. U.S. Attorney General Barr, Bill Barr, wants to call for security defeating backdoors. Right. So when I asked you for happy things, that's what you had. Um, yeah. Because obviously he's right. We need backdoors. Uh, is that what you're saying? That um, we need encryption to be basically switched off. Um, that's that's what Bill Barr is suggesting. I, I suggest the reverse. I suggest that uh, personally, as far as I'm concerned, we need more encryption that, that you know, all of the, uh, the uh, you know, a couple of years ago, all of the federal records were hacked. The uh, you know, federal employee records were hacked. Had those been encrypted, they would have been secure from the hack. Instead, every this, federal employee has to worry about identity theft now because all of their information was given away. But you would think the U.S. Attorney General is aware of this and, and still has very good reasons uh, to dismiss the safety of the world. No? 
The U.S. Attorney General is essentially a, a law enforcement official, and law enforcement does not like the idea that any potential evidence could possibly ever be out of their reach. And it ignores the long history of, of time where there were all kinds of evidence that simply were not within reach, that, that law enforcement wasn't necessarily able to always capture everyone's mail or read everyone's mail or capture every phone call. They could tap some, but they couldn't tap them all. Right. There was always evidence out of reach and law enforcement had to deal with that. And encryption places potential evidence outside of their reach, but also protects the vast majority of people who have done nothing worth prosecuting. And so that's what this is about, is, is that they simply do not believe that there can be products that place information outside of their reach. You can understand that point of view. Yes. They're wrong. Historically, they're wrong. <laughs> Technically, they're wrong. So there's that. That's my position. I'm sticking to it. You know, and, and your own government, the GCHQ, tried to create backdoors similar to this. Yeah, you say past tense as if they've stopped trying. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Oh, I, I don't know that they've stopped trying, but they're also wrong. Okay. Yep. Right. Well, so, you know. That's that's all, all all good then, isn't it? I'm begging you. Something something great. Cheer me up. Make me feel really, really happy. Well okay, you're struggling there. That's in in, in two thousand five we switched away from power PC processors like the twelve inch power book you were talking about earlier to mm -hmm. Intel. I remember it very well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and the part of the reason for that was that Intel was doing a great job of making CPUs faster and better and and keeping progress going. And they were able to supply laptop chips in number. It was a good decision. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm astonished that it was as long ago as it was. I'd forgotten it was 2005, but yes, it, and done very well. It has. So we're it happy. has. It has. Uh, there have been some hiccups along the way. Of late, there have been issues with with machines that didn't have laptop chips that could support enough ram you know, we were stuck at 16 gig oh, yeah. ram for a while and people want 32 gig of ram in a laptop and some manufacturers got around that by shoehorning desktop chips into their laptops and others like apple waited until the chip was available but apple doesn't really like waiting until a chip is available do they uh, not traditionally, no. no. And I, I must say, I didn't understand why the RAM limit was there. I would have imagined the architecture was the same uh, regardless, but I'm sure it wasn't. Yep. So Apple instead did what? Well, so Apple then waited until the chip was available. But Apple has their own in-house chip design team. Yes. And they have capital. They got, they got money in the bank, don't they? At least, yes, at least and, until the antitrust thing hits and they <laughs> find them into oblivion or otherwise break them up. Although, if the FTC fine is any history, it won't actually be that big a dent. But uh, Apple has cash on hand. They have a chip team. What if they make their own chip for their own laptops? Oh, so kind of like, let's put the show on right here. Yes. Yeah. They I mean, could. Intel hasn't really delivered a massive new jump in, in CPU technology, either in efficiency or in compute power. Well, they've been trying. Yeah, they have. Give them that. Yep. Presumably. 
Yeah. And the the Wintel PC sales that supply, you know, that, that made a number of sales of x86 processors to all of the other manufacturers, well, this will plateaued too, right? No one's no one's selling huge amounts of desktop computers. Laptops surpassed them long ago. And in terms of laptops, the, the field is narrowing a little bit too, right? There's There's less growth. So if there's less growth, then there's less CPU sales, which means Intel has less money with which to make new CPUs. Okay, so you think they're going to go into the burger and fries business? Well, I mean, they tried making low-power processors like the Atom x86 for Google and Android. They have done other CPUs like the the baseband processor market that Apple's considering purchasing, right? So in some views, if you look through the light lens, it looks like Intel is fading a little bit. And Apple is considering buying their modem business because Apple can do it in-house, right? So with all of those things being true, now makes more sense than ever before for Apple to go ahead and make their own processor for a laptop. Yep, that that seems compelling, yes. Um, do we want them to do it again, though? We've, we've been through massive moves before. This would be, I was going to say massive, uh, sorry, uh, the bigger than massive, huge. Well, I mean, it does a few different things, right? In, in the past transitions, we've gone through a couple of versions of the operating system that ran on both platforms, and applications had to be built with what were called fat binaries, where they would run on both platforms. And then there was a translation layer that would allow you to run the old versions. And, and that stuck around for about two versions of the OS and then went away. Okay, I didn't remember that. Yeah, it was called Rosetta. Rosetta was the PowerPC translation for PowerPC apps on Intel. And so that kind of transition would be made again. It wouldn't be too difficult. Uh, You know, people on the former, on the Intel machines, would, would be stuck with that for a while. Now, what's interesting that would make this even easier is Catalyst and Swift UI. Where if you're running a Catalyst app, you're already in the ARM, you're, you're basically compiling the ARM for compatibility on Mac anyway. Well, if you're running that as an, you, you could compile with Catalyst and, and basically do it for Ar- Intel and for an ARM-based Mac. And in that way, you get the fat binary kind of thing. So are you saying on the one hand, we could be looking forward to ARM Macs quite soon, and on the other, that Intel is sweating, panicking, crying in a corner if they aren't they should be okay so realistically <laughs> what are the chances of us seeing uh, an arm-based uh, macbook replacement this year well i think the thing to remember is that os 10 for intel was in development for probably three years and that it's um, maybe even longer maybe four but it's a uh, a thing where you'd want them to all be running macOS on their own chips. And I we don't have any information that that's happened. So it, it could be a few years away. But we're starting to hear these rumblings. So it begins to make sense. You know, whether or not they're that- running OS ten on an iPad Pro, for example, or whether they've taken a few of theirs and made multi-CPU A-series boards and are doing that. We, we don't know. I'm just speculating there. We, we don't know if they're making A-series boards and uh, with multi-CPUs on them and working like that. It's possible. 
We don't know. It's it's one of those things where it would take a big effort of development in-house, both for software and hardware. And it's it's maybe still a couple years away. But things like Project Catalyst make it even easier to imagine. I'm wishing that Project Catalyst would do a better version of the Home app, but I, I think I'm being kind of short-term sighted there. I think so. Yes. I think very much so. I think this is uh, that's short-term thinking. Okay, but you know, I'm thinking it. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the, you know, those are those are first versions. We're still in the first year of that. Uh, you suspect that Apple's looking further down the line than the next couple of weeks. God, I cunning, think so. I they? think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, William, this has been great. I've really enjoyed this. I think that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again next week. You want to do it again next week? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I can come back. Yes, let's <laughs> yeah. do that then. Right. Great. I'm so glad for that. What will we do that. in the meantime? In, where will we go? Uh, well, where can we find you on the internet in the meantime? Oh, I'm on Twitter as W Gallagher, and I'm always on William at AppleInsider.com. What about yourself? I'm VMarks on Twitter, and I'm Victor at AppleInsider.com. Please email all complaints to William at AppleInsider.com, and we will be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. 